0: Pride Institute is an LGBTQ-specific treatment center for substance use disorder and addiction.
1: Pride was first opened in 1986 as a direct response to the HIV-AIDS pandemic.
0: We provide care to adults 18 plus in residential and outpatient settings. I'm Luke. And I'm Kaylee.
1: And together, we are the co-hosts of the Proud Voices podcast for Pride Institute.
0: Hey, everyone. Today we are here with Alex. Alex, thanks for joining us today. And so I'll just start off like I do every other time. Uh, What led you to Pride's Doors initially?
2: Hey everyone, uh, good to be here. So what led me here is two thousand nineteen. I was in the darkest, deepest times of my addiction. Um, Ivy Matthews and Denzos and everything else under the sun, running a treatment facility and trying to run a treatment facility, I should say. Um, and was kind of lost with my depression, the guilt, the anxiety, the paranoia, the psychosis, financial problems, and really, I was like, hey, I need to get help, and I did some research online one night, sitting there, and bada bing, bada boom, I found Pride Institute, and I (laughs) thought that seems like a good fit. Um, Other times that I've gone to treatment, you know, the sexuality was always, I felt like, the counselors would say oh that's your problem you know you're not out of or you fully haven't accepted yourself and while some of that may be true i felt as if i went to lgbt specific treatment program that i would be able to not so much focus on like that part but i could be comfortable in my own skin learn more about you know what that means even to identify as a gay man um yeah that's what brought me to pride
0: Okay, so back up a minute. You (laughs) were using while you were running a treatment center. Yes. Can you expand on that a little bit? That's wild.
2: Uh, It is wild. I, uh, in the midst of my addiction, I had caught a felony charge and the court ordered me to go to get a drug and alcohol evaluation. Some people in Minnesota call it a rule 25. Same thing, but it was mandated by the court. I knew this lady that was in private practice for my other DUIs that I've gotten over the years um now i look at it the motive was because she doesn't recommend a lot of treatment you know she doesn't recommend inpatient shoot mm-hmm. but she yeah so anyways i went to her thinking that i wasn't gonna get treatment well i ended up getting a job there you know she in private practice doesn't have anybody to help her so i started doing her court filings organizing paper answering the phone doing her scheduling and she wanted to retire, so I thought to myself, okay, well, you know, she, uh, she told me, she's like, Alex, you need to be in this field. The clients like uh-huh. you. They get along with you. you. They seem to open up to you. There's something about you, and you need to get them in the field. And I said, okay, she, she's like, I want you to have my business, you know, when I retire. And so, I like, how am I supposed to do that? I'm not a licensed addiction counselor. <laughs> um, so after thinking, I was like, all right, well, I can just... Get licensed by the state, do all uh, meet the requirements for the state Department of Human Services. So I did that. I worked on it for about two months, and I uh, was able to hire a licensed addiction counselor. And on April fifteenth, you know, I was officially licensed by the state of North Dakota to operate, and I did that very short time. But um, um, it's crazy to think, you know, why my higher power, who I call God. Allowed it to work out that way. I don't know if I'll ever know why, but um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm.
1: I wonder if you can expand on how you were able to, I guess, fulfill your roles, or if you were, I guess, I don't know, um, like working in that field, because I feel like in this field, addicts know what that kind of looks like when you're using. And so were you able to hide it?
2: Was it kind of a short stint where people knew right away? I would, I think. All of us addicts, things that we cover up pretty good, you know. <laughs> that we think, you know, under the, you know, my skin, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how well I was covered up, but I always appeared, you know, I was made sure that I looked nice. Um, I had nice clothes, drove a nice car, so I think that I presented myself very well. You know, as far as like my track marks, you know, I'd wear long sleeve shirts, and if I didn't, I would put concealer, and you know. I would go tanning so my skin wasn't so pasty and it was it would help them break out. And I would put bronzer on my art track marks so that it would cover up. Whether or not some of the clients, you know, when I was presenting like a DUI seminar class knew or not, nobody ever really called me out on it. The, even the licensed addiction counselor at the time, she never called me out on it. And she, she was my counselor at one point in time in previous treatment. So I'm not, I don't, I don't know that, I'm, I don't know. You know, I'd like to, like I said, I'd like to think that I covered up pretty well. <laughs> right um you know i was 50 pounds lighter than i am now and I'm one 190 and i was like 130 at the time you know size 28 ways so i don't know i just i'm always
1: fascinated when people tell stories like that because i feel like you can just if i'm like even the slightest bit like have a headache or don't feel well i'm just such a baby about it that everybody around me knows and they're like oh he's crabby and like so i'm just like you must have been just very high functioning
2: yeah, there was a lot of. I mean, it was, you know, that the meth came in and there was the Xanax to take me down that. Because I would say, you know, thinking back and looking back, I was very irritable, just on edge all the time, ready to snap at any given moment. Um, that's where the Xanax came in, and you know, the muscle relaxers to help with the body aches. So there was always some kind of a substance for any ailment that I had at the time.
0: And you said you chose Pride because you weren't quite comfortable with your sexuality and you were hoping to get that piece, is that correct? Yeah. Um, What did that look like for you then going into Pride's doors, not quite being, you know, open with who you are, kind of being in the closet and then finding yourself within that process?
2: Yeah, that was, it was definitely a learning experience, I can tell you that much. Um, Especially growing up, you know, in a smaller Midwestern town, Bismarck, North Dakota. the LGBT population is not very big, and, you know, a lot of the party and play scene, the PMP scene that goes along with the gay men specifically, <clears throat> wasn't that big either. So I think, you know, going into Pride, I'm like, okay, well, I know that I'm a gay man, but I'm not sure what that means, how that feels. Um, I was just telling someone today, I used to wear makeup, not like full-blown eyeshadow, just concealer and mascara just to cover up my face or my ill skin but when i got to pride you know something clicked in pride accepting that i'm a gay man and accepting that i'm a person new into recovery where i stopped wearing makeup and i haven't worn makeup since um and i just think that speaks volumes to me finding myself and being comfortable in my own skin and not having to have to appear a certain type of way but being in pride really just allowed me to be who i was i didn't have to Worry about using my i call it my man voice you know when i'm talking to <laughs> yeah. men i'm like hey guys how's it going you know, i don't have to do that i can just be who i am i don't have to worry about what i'm dressing or how i'm dressing um you know that it, like it's okay to you know be in tight pants and a nice pair of boots and without anybody judging me or you know being into fashion or makeup even though i'm not wearing makeup just really allowed me a safe place to be who I am. And then I also got to learn about other, the other populations on the spectrum. Um, You know, pronouns. I didn't know what pronouns were at all. You know, I I didn't know what they were, but um, I didn't know it was such a big role, played a big part in life and today's culture. You know, it's huge. Every time I introduce myself, I'm I'm Alex and I use any pronouns. Um, So it's been a very humbling, Great learning experience. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't be more grateful for that.
1: When you bring up a really good point too, because I think obviously the LGBTQ community is all, I think, empathetic to one another, but a white gay male's experience is so vastly different from that of like an African-American trans woman. Absolutely. And so a lot of times people come through our door and experience the same thing of you of like, well, I thought I was so woke and now I like know more than I did before and this is crazy um and i guess just all the different intersections that lie within that community
2: there's a lot of different intersections and in school right now um we took a multicultural counseling class last semester and i found myself just like holy cow i have so much to learn mm-hmm. you know not just about my identity but about everybody else's it's so different you know the color of their skin or the <clears throat> they speak our English, you know, English is their second language, where they're from, how they grew up, life experiences, just and how it plays into the addict's life today, you know, I have, um, I've had a couple of clients in my house, I manage a sober house that, you know, at first I was like on their butts because they weren't doing their chores. And why, you know, why aren't you, what is so hard about doing your chores? <laughs> in my head thinking, everybody should know how to claim you're an adult. Mm-hmm. But then being told a week later, sitting down with the client, you know, honestly I come from a privileged family I've never had to clean in my life. And so the way I approach that, you know, being irritated and mad at the person thinking that it was common sense to claim, to now like, okay, well, now I understand. You know, even that it's a whole different culture in itself, you know? And that's it's pride has helped me be like more mindful of that and you know, trying to understand and respect and kind of meet the person where they're at. I think that client center is really important. Absolutely. Uh, so I want to backtrack a
1: little bit. You had mentioned school. What are you in school for? Right now I'm in school at Minneapolis College pursuing my
2: addiction counseling degree.
1: That's amazing. And um, So you obviously have a background in the field prior to Pride, but has your experience in treatment this last round and your experience as a house manager,
2: has that led you back
1: to this or has this been a long-term goal of yours?
2: Uh, I would just say it was a goal from the lady that I was working for, she mm-hmm. really motivated me. And in my addiction, you know, I thought, oh, wow, that would be so cool to be an addiction counselor. You know, that would be really, cool. I never thought that it'd be possible. I never thought that I'd be where I'm at today. Um, so going to Pride, going, you know, to the allocation programming, being in a sober house, all of those kind of solidified that, like, all right, these are your people. This is what you want to do. I believe that my passion in life is helping people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that necessarily addiction counseling, I would just say that's a stepping stone for me. I think that it would probably go further into uh, being a therapist specializing in addiction. Um, that would be my end goal, but yeah, I've all, everything that I've gone through the last 18 months and now the sober house, um, managing that has all been educational and <laughs> it's been a learning experience for sure. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, congratulations. Thank you.
0: Yeah, life experience is sometimes a better teacher than going to school, even. So I'm just curious, um, can you like pinpoint where your youth started and, and if any like, factors uh, perpetuated that kind of behavior from you? Um, <laughs> loaded uh, question. <laughs> Very loaded <laughs> question.
2: My youth started as far as back as so I can remember. I remember living in California, driving around with my stepdad and him having 40 ounces of Old English. me being in the car thirsty and that's what he would give me is you know sip of his beer so i would say that's probably where my addiction probably started manifesting is way back i don't even know how old that was probably like four Mm -hmm. um and then more specifically when i was around the age of 12 and we lived in Bismarck, north dakota we my mom had started using again and I remember her wanting to babysit me, her wanting me to babysit. And she would pay me in little blue pills, now known as Xanax, half milligram tablets. Um and I remember, you know, taking those and filling some type of way at the age of twelve. And then through school, you know, I met the people who smoked pot, and I remember, you know, trying to do that and then drinking on the weekends or going to little house parties. Um, and then it kind of just progressed, and by the age of 13, my mom had gone ways out and started getting into opiates. She started smoking crack, and she had been sober from crack for, like, 14 years. So along the lines from moving to California to North Dakota, she got into the wrong code again. And having, um, I don't say crack, but, you know, people that smoke crack come over to the house, uh, it... That's what I started smoking crack at the age of 13 um, with my mom's friends. And then eventually, you know, you'll do anything for your drug at that time. So I started smoking crack with my mom. And uh, kind of just one thing led to another. And then I started doing meth at the beginning of 14. <clears throat> and that kind of just went off and on throughout high school. Um, we were taken away from my mom. I turned my mom into social services. When I think I was a sophomore. So, yeah. It's, it just goes on and on and on. Mm -hmm. 33 now, so throughout the last 20 years of my life, um, it's been problematic substance use over, uh, and treatment eight, Pride is my eighth time going to treatment, between day treatments, PHP, um, outpatient settings, individual settings, residential care, Mm -hmm. um, 12-step programs, tried it all.
1: And so you had mentioned you have a brother. Yes. And so how many siblings total? I
2: have a total of three siblings. I have an older sister who's two years older than me. She lives in Switzerland. She's, I would say, the normie of the family. (laughs) She got away from the dysfunction of the family. So someone I look up to very much. We talk all the time now. So it's been really great to build that relationship. And then I have a little brother who's two years younger than me, three years younger than me. He still lives in Bismarck. And then I have a little sister who now is actually in Minneapolis as well. She uh, just got out of the wayside and she's doing great. Um, so I have three
1: altogether. And so that's kind of a huge, you, you had mentioned you turned your mother into social services. I mean, that's a huge burden. And obviously one that was necessary for you and the health of your family. Um, so then, were you, I guess, the caretaker of your
2: younger siblings? And my that? older sister. And your older and sister. My, little, my older sister called me her big brother. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, I very much so was. Mm-hmm. It was. It was to the point, though, where I was take, trying my best to take care of them while feeding my addiction, trying to go to school. Mm-hmm. You know, my senior, sophomore, junior year of high school. If had I missed one more day, including all medical absences, I wouldn't have. Uh, Past that year, that's how much school I missed. So trying to maintain all that, and my mom, she what happened is she just dis, disappeared for like five days. And every day, you know, I would pray and I'd say, okay, well, she's not coming home today. If she's not home by noon. I'll I'll tell this counselor at school. And you know, that, I remember that week just kind of starting, and Monday and Tuesday, and Wednesday passed, and Wednesday night, my little brother and sister were hungry and they were crying. And I didn't know what to do. The car had a flat tire. It was the middle of winter time. So I called one of my teachers, um, Mrs. kranz and she's, you know, God's angel. I don't really know what to say, <laughs> but she brought us food over that day. And the next day I was called to the principal's office and well all three of us were taken out of the home. My older sister got to stay with family friends at the time, but
0: So then were you kicked into foster care? Okay, and how was your experience in the system? Did your use perpetuate? Did that help?
2: It was, eh, it was kind of beneficial. I was in a foster home previous to that um, because I was taken out of a home for unruliness, but then that's a whole nother story. But it was, we were all placed in the same foster home, us three, me and my little brother and sister, which was good, but my little brother was unruly and you know, I don't blame him. So he got put into, like, what a, what a juvenile detention center. My little sister, who we have just been so close ever, you know, I remember writing little notes to her saying, hey, I hope you have a good day, keep your head up, don't let anybody steal your joy, those types of things. Um, that part was sad because every time I would leave, she would just look out the windows and she would be crying. Yeah. Um, but they really wanted me to focus on being... A uh, kid, uh, adolescent, teenager, to go out uh, hang with my friends. So I got a lot of freedom. <laughs> um, so it didn't help me. It was because I got to do whatever I wanted to do. And then being the mature person I was at that age, I was able to manipulate my way into you know doing, getting to do whatever I wanted to do. Um, but you know the foster home that I was placed in, that we were placed in, was good. We were there for a year the whole year that um, my mom had to get her stuff together. And she got my little brother and sister back a year later. Um, I decided to stay in Bismarck because I was in my senior year of high school at the time, didn't want to move because she had moved to Minot. I didn't want to move to another city and start that over. But then she lost my little brother and sister three days later because she overdosed on cocaine. Yeah. So um, and then it kind of, you know, I kept doing what I needed to do. I graduated high school went off to college in uh, Moorhead, and my little sister got adopted by her foster parents at the time. And my little brother, unfortunately, was kind of just tossed around in the foster care system, which is super, you know, unfortunate. Yeah.
1: So as someone who has relapsed um, a couple times, can you talk about that? Because I think a lot of people fear making that call again, you know, of like, I just went to treatment, now I have to call and admit that I'm using
2: again. Can you talk about your experience with that? I do, and I honestly get goosebumps just hearing that because, so living, I don't know that I've necessarily really experienced the guilt or the shame when it comes to relapse because I've always been kind of independent or I've been able to figure out my own way through things, um, whether it was the way or wrong way, you know, and that's for God to judge me, but. Um, what I notice now in managing the sober host is that clients relapse and poof, they're gone you know, mm-hmm. and then I talk to them two weeks later, a month later I'm sorry, you know, apologizing to me and feeling so guilty and feeling ashamed about the relapse and I it just breaks my heart because it's like I don't want anybody to ever feel that way, you know addiction is addiction, it is nature of the beast relapse is bound to happen um i don't know what i can do or anybody can do to help anybody in that situation to affirm to them that it is so you know it's okay like just pick up that phone and say hey i relapsed. i used drugs i got high went off and twirled whatever it is that you did but it's the importance of just coming back you know it's really i don't know it's difficult that's a hard It's the hard thing to talk about is because I wish there was a solution and I wish there was something I could Mm -hmm. you know just give to some everybody that I come in contact with you know when the clients new clients come into the house I tell them that I tell them if you do happen to relapse if you're on pass or just going out for the night and you run into somebody at the bus stop and happen to hit their blunt or whatever it is don't be ashamed don't feel guilty come back just own onto it and we'll figure out the next steps of whatever it is to get you the help that you need, you know, whether it's going to detox or whatever it is. But yeah, that, uh, the stigma that comes with substance mm-hmm. use disorder is just, it's wicked. And yeah. I hate to say it cause it's
1: such a cliche, but really when you're fighting addiction, um, and substance use disorder, it really is a marathon and not a sprint. And you really, it is really hard to look at it that way because I think we as humans See something bad about ourselves, and we're like, "Oh, I need to fix it right away. Like, mm-hmm. we need to get this. We need to rip that bandit off, and let's just get this over with, so I can continue the rest of my life." But okay. this is something
2: that takes the rest of your life, right? Exactly. And you know, just talking about that as addicts, that's what we like. We like the immediate gratification. We like to feel it instantly. Whatever the problem is, or solution, or whatever we're looking for, we want it right now, right then. But like you said, it's it's a lifelong thing. There is a point in time. A couple months ago, that. I don't know where my mind was, but I was like, oh, I'm done with AA, I I don't need it anymore, I think I've graduated, I can stop going, and then it was like about a week and a half later, I was like, oh, maybe not, I'm I'm gonna continue to go AA, but you know, it's a lifelong thing, it's
0: a lifelong journey. Definitely, and I mean, you yourself went to eight treatments, what finally stuck for you?
2: When I talk about my story, I look back to my, you know, this is, The first time ever in my life that I've been able to reflect on a year or even a couple months. And right now it's at that point. Wow, I can really reflect on a whole year ago. Let's see. So it's been kind of neat. So I went to Pride, you know, knowing that I needed to get help, mainly because I was afraid that I was going to either die or go to prison. One of those two things. And it was going to come quickly. so that's, I would say that was like my motive. Like I need to get mentally stable. You know, the auditory hallucinations were there. They just, everything just needs to stop. So then when I was there, I was like, okay, well now I have to go back to the horrible town of Bismarck. I do not want to go back there. Somebody's like, oh, why don't you go to Soberhouse? House? Didn't even know that was an option. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I have an apartment there, a business. And I'm like, we'll just go there, pack it up, put it in a U-Haul and just deal with it later. So I did that. I went to the Jordan house and I, you know, and I would say that I was probably clinically depressed for the first two months. It was December. It was cold out. Dark got four. No, exactly. <laughs> no, I didn't know anybody. Um, was, you know, how do I meet people? And then in March, I decided to go see a therapist and I decided to go to a sponsor or go to a meeting, a morning meeting, seven o'clock morning. I got on the bus, and went down to Dunn Brothers and by Lauren Park, and I looked at this guy and he he had some good stuff to share. And I was like, he looks like he's gay. He's got nice manicured
1: nails,
2: (laughs) he looks wealthy. I'm gonna ask him to be my sponsor.
1: Hmm.
2: Well, he's not gay and he's bankrupt, so he used to be a millionaire, but Hmm. not the person that I was thinking of. And so between the therapy And then right after I met my therapist and my sponsor, the next time I met my sponsor was in his car because COVID had hit and everything was the first shutdown. So I really got that, you know, I was five months into being sober, just kind of like, all right, here's your chance to use your resources. You have nothing but time now to, you know, I was like, can't say, what am I gonna do? I need to do something. So. Something along those lines with working the 12 steps, going to a therapist, getting on my knees and praying, something clicked. You know, the triggers, the cravings weren't there. They were gone. Um, it was kind of a blessing. COVID was kind of a blessing for me because had it been a regular year without everything being in lockdown, you know, I like going to new bars. I like doing rooftop drinking, trying new drinks. Um, that all sounds like fun to me. Pride would have been fun but I don't know that I've would been ready in my sobriety to experience all those things. Um, kinda, and just, you know, being able to acknowledge that and accept, this time I was accepting the fact that I am a drug addicted alcoholic. There is no, you can only smoke weed or, you know, you can take pills, or even Suboxone. Or, you know, for myself, I was on Suboxone and I realized that I was taking it to feel some type of way.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was like, okay, well I gotta nip that in the bud because it just wasn't sitting right with me. Can you explain to our listeners what Suboxone is? Suboxone is a medication-assisted therapy for people who are coming off of opiates, people who have opiate uh, substance use disorder. Um, it helps with cravings, it helps with um, controlling some of the withdrawal management, and people are and have been very successful using it or you know, not going back to use. Um, so I'm all for it anybody that it's going to be useful for for myself it's not just not for me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well alex thank you so
1: much for being here i think your story is going to really inspire a lot of people and i mean the thing i biggest thing i took away was just you continually going back and putting yourself first so thank you thanks Thank you for joining us on this episode of Proud Voices.
0: You can find us where you find all your favorite podcasts.
1: Don't forget to follow and subscribe.
0: We'll see you next time.